What if you had the power to know which employees were most likely to quit? This year, nearly 40% of workers will actively consider resigning, leaving employers at risk. Vizier, the global leader in people analytics, helps you stop the exit. With Vizier, you can identify retention risks and create happier and more productive employees. Find out why so many Fortune 500 companies choose Vizier at www.vizier.com. Vizier, people answers, on demand. Welcome to Garden Views, interesting conversations with interesting people who have done and or are doing interesting things. So sit back and enjoy. Welcome into Garden Views. This episode we have a guy I've known for a long time. I've known him for many years in different platforms, and his name is Jamal Williams. He's from Los Angeles, California, and where I know him from is not important. Maybe we'll get into it, maybe we won't, but he didn't live up to his nickname, which is a good thing, um, and I admired his, uh, his intelligence, his writing, uh, although he was a big liar and said he was going to write an opus at some point. And I actually believed he would. He still hasn't. But I, I, I'm not there anymore, so it doesn't matter. So, you know, it's, it's other people's loss at this point. Um, but Jamal is young. Jamal is African-American. And Jamal is a conservative. And that is something that I wanted to explore. Um, he is not the only African-American conservative I know. He's not the only youngish African-American conservative that I know but it is a minority position in a minority community. And I think that that's interesting to talk to someone and find out what that journey was like and what that experience is like. So Jamal, first of all, thank you for being willing to talk about this and thank you for coming into Garden Views. Thank you, Jeff. It's been a long time coming. I've always wanted to be on your show. I'm a fan. I appreciate that. Thank, thank you very much. I mean, you, you know, I've got mad respect for you as it is. And, uh, you know, the, in, in the world of social media, there, there are some people that you come to like, there are some people that you come to hate, and there's some people that you, that you can tell that you'd be friends in real life. And I, I think that we probably would. Um, yeah. which is cool. Um, but enough about us liking each other. Um, <laughs> let's, let's talk a little bit about, the roots of your conservatism was it something like i i will say to the audience that you know first of all this is a garden of doom production but this is garden views but even as a youth i was a weird kid no shockers there no you know no spoilers um i loved crossfire i loved the mclaughlin group and i think just because those were the only political shows out there i sort of tended to you know fall along the conservative lines, probably not conservative as defined today, but that's not important because we're not really here to talk about what's what's conservative and what's not. Um, so Jamal, what, you know, what got you there? And, and I guess first introduce yourself and you, I guess you can, you know, tell the folks, uh, you know, roughly your age because young is different to different people. That you sound all right. Well, all right. There you go. Yeah, but I'm Jamal Williams. I guess uh, as previously described, a black conservative, although I don't personally put that at the top of my resume. 
Um, <laughs> so the question, what, what, what are the roots? And the thing is, I think growing up, first I grew up in a two-parent household. And my family is, is very structured that way. Like you, a lot of my cousins will be in that same kind of situation. 90% of my friends were people that came from two family households. My, like, so I guess the roots in general would be that my family is very Southern. Mom, Alabama, dad, Louisiana, like Beyonce says. And so the, the the roots of my conservatism came from my family structure. Although I didn't know that's what it was, although my family's been somewhat liberal and democratic for my entire existence. So it's something that I guess that I was raised to be that I didn't know I was raised to be. Was there a religious component to it as well, or was it political or? or no. Yeah. no. <laughs> Just social? I, I, parents were very loose and uh, you know people use the word indoctrination I think it's overly overly used now but I guess they were loose in what I would be indoctrinated in they didn't really set any uh, strict standards for it so I was it was, I, although my family is Christian it was never like you have to be or you know so no it doesn't have religious roots at all matter of fact I'm not religious which is like, I guess, kind of anti-conservative. Well, not necessarily, but again, we, we, you know, right. it, de- it depends on your definition of conservative. Right. Right. Not anti-conservative, but maybe not typically conservative. I, I would agree with you that somewhere around the Tea Party or maybe before the sort of the more majority adopted the conservative party or vice versa. Um, but, you know, historically, you know, if you go back to Buckley and, you know, or even before, uh, but anyway, uh, so uh, your your family was, you know, you were raised in a, a two-parent home. Nothing particularly unusual about that. But uh, in the South, nothing particularly unusual about that. Um, Christian, but not, you know, that you weren't beaten over the head with Christian. It was, it was just, right. you know, that that's the religion that your, your folks were, their folks were, whatever, born into it. But it wasn't like every Sunday we went to church and whatever, just, right. you know, uh, moderate to uh, reform um, type of situation. Got it. So at some point you realize that maybe you thought differently than some others, or maybe you didn't even re- think of that, but you realize that you subscribe to certain political philosophies. Um, did you seek out any like speakers, books, writers, television personalities? Well, I forgot my, I won't give my specific age, but I'm late thirties. So I don't know if it's at some point I started to realize my views. I think as you get older, uh, certain things become of interest. I think that's uh, more normal. So as politics began began to become an interest, then I started to align a certain way. Um, Off top, you would think, oh, I'm a democratic liberal. And that's what I did. (laughs) I, I just took... Um, what, what I thought, what I, you know, what I grew up around, what my friends were, what it was, it was almost, I guess, a supposed, uh, affiliation. And I thought that's what I was until I've, I've heard other people say this before, but the catalyst that made me start questioning it 
or trying to identify it or maybe um, looking at other things is uh, Donald Trump being elected president. Well, that's uh, recent history. I feel like I ran it that out. <laughs> that, that, well, I don't think that you've answered it yet. You, you're working out, but I'm, I'm surprised that it's, it, you know, it only goes back to, you know, 2016. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, I, like, you know, in my late 20s, I started becoming political because Barack Obama was president. It was a time where you, I was proud to go out and vote for who I thought would be the first black president. And then... We have to so around like when Donald Trump was elected, I was under thirty five. I wasn't too involved in politics, so yeah, that's probably why I came later. Well, you couldn't run for president yet. That's why. <laughs> exactly. Now, now you're of age, so now now you're ready to get in the game. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting that that, that Donald Trump was the catalyst. I mean. In, in what way? Did, I mean, were you attracted to him? Were you repulsed by him? I mean, with, was it somewhere a, a little bit of each? I mean, listen, whatever anybody thinks of Donald Trump, he's a compelling figure. It's hard to not look. I mean, you know, you and you can say it's because you love him. You can say it's because it's a train wreck. You can say it's because you hate him, whatever it is. But, I mean, there's a reason that The Apprentice was a success for so long. There's a reason he's been a public figure and, and has managed, you know, has had lots of different business ventures and, and, you know, was a household name to be able to turn from real estate developer, uh, you know, serial businesses, reality TV show into political reality and president without any prior political experience other than, you know, donating and going to fundraisers. Yeah. See, the thing is, like, culturally, in a lot of black communities, I don't like to loop black people into a group, but I, I did notice culturally amongst my peer groups, Donald Trump wasn't what he became when, when he was president. He was in, in, the, in, in some black communities, he was one of the good guys. He was one of the people that supported us. You know, like uh, when Snoop Dogg was kind of not liked on a certain side, Donald Trump would be hanging out with Snoop Dogg. So, um, it, it, what I, what I noticed is kind of like a bell ringing in a sense, and I'm going to be a nerd, a a Justice League reference, but it, it was like a bell ringing where I noticed something happened and it's not, these things aren't like normal occurrence anymore. It went from, you know, like rappers rapping at like, up like Donald Trump to now this is the most evil person on earth. And so in a, in a big way, in a way, maybe equally uh, to him running for president and being elected, I started to notice uh, how the media treated that happening. And I noticed how people started reacting to the media, you know, how they treated that. There were people who would gladly wear Donald Trump on a t-shirt who would now say wearing Donald Trump on a t-shirt was the most racist thing you could do. And it seemed like it happened (laughs) overnight. It seemed, it appeared that way. So there's, you know, there's a lot of things that happen with that culturally, at least in my bubble, that kind of made me analyze what my alignments were. 
let's get one thing out of the way for the audience right off the bat that both Jamal and myself recognize that no people are a monolith. So when we say black people, when we say white people, when we say young people, when we say any kind of people that, that, you know, we're, we're loosely talking about a political perception and a statistical probability or possibility, you know, maybe it's 55%, 45% or, or something like that. But when you talk about politics, it's sort of one of the last places that you can actually break up people into demographics and still considered okay um, because each partisan side is trying to maximize their chances for uh, victory. So, you know, even in gerrymandering in court, it's, you know, know, if if the the defense attorney for whichever party to defend the, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the political district looks like, you know, an alligator instead of a box, if they say this is for political gain, yeah, we 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 want to get you know every part of X Y Z demographic in here because we think it's going to help you know the Republicans or the Democrats stay in power. That's a defense rather than we're you know where we're we're trying to exclude the power of you know this type of person or these type of people from voting. Uh, it's the same result. It's probably the same thought process. It's just the way of phrasing the argument, which is different. So. We both get that. We hope you all get that. But one of the interesting things I was talking to Jamal about um, pre-production was that there are lots of, you know, quote unquote, minority groups. And and the United States is going to become a majority minority country if it it isn't already, depending on on the census and how well that counts. Um, But certain groups don't vote necessarily with what, you know, let's just say the media or mass perception consider their their self-interest. So you would think that Latinos would be overly democratic. They're really not. It's it's really very close to 50-50. And so the Latino vote probably is not taken for granted, or maybe still is taken too much for granted by the Democrats, but less so. I think they're starting to learn that lesson. But every election cycle, we hear black leaders saying, don't take our votes for granted. And every election cycle, the African-American community, which is socially conservative by and large, um, at higher rates or equally high rates as any white community, probably a higher rate, um, votes 90% plus for the Democratic Party cycle after cycle after cycle. So... It's like saying, don't take our votes for granted, but hey, the result is you can sort of take our votes for granted. Um, I suspect that there's a lot more socially conservative African-American, I want to say voters, but it doesn't matter, just people out there um, than is reflected in the vote tally. Um, but but my take, I just gave a little speech here and, and the show is really to hear from Jamal, not from me. But what do you think about that? Um, that's a, that's a lot to unpack. Uh, Isn't that just, <laughs> I've never been a good light packer. Yeah. yeah. That, that was, you came with the whole suitcase. We're going on an international trip for six weeks. Yeah. I've got my pill case <laughs> with Monday through Sunday. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of that has to do with the thought that people are, should be altruistic. The, I guess the word that 
is a push now is empathetic, have empathy. And so when we start to look at, well, because black communities are under service and they aren't performing as well as, I don't know if I should say people think they should be, they aren't performing as well as black communities think they should be themselves. And so when trying to figure out the reasons for that, and I think this is a human thing. I think uh, it's it's um, instinctive to look outward first, to blame something else. The others. And what the Democratic Party does is tell you who to blame. <laughs> they do that really well. And sometimes they're right. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes it's just fluff. I could I could go deeper in that, but I think it I think it's that process. There's a problem here. Whose fault is it? And then you have people saying it's their fault. Who did you have any perhaps influences that you looking back? You know, did you read on Ryan? Did you listen in the eighties? Did you listen to Rush Limbaugh when he was more normal? <laughs> um, did you read National Review? Um, did you did you uh, you know were you a child of the eighties and the nineties, were you a, a Clarence Thomas fan? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm reaching for whatever, you know, were, were there any black conservatives? Well, I don't know. Was there a, you know, like, was, were you like Colin Powell? Awesome. Oh yeah, of course. Um, I did listen to a lot of shock jocks and Rush Limbaugh might've been in my, in a little bit of rotation sometime in my teenage years. Uh, I know Adam Carolla was in there somewhat, but I don't, I don't, I don't remember associating, associating with them politically. So they, there, there might've been those kind of seeds laid, but I didn't identify that that's what they were. That's like, you're asking me a question that's like, and it caused me to be introspective, especially like, uh, in years earlier than in my twenties. That I haven't necessarily done myself yet. <laughs> you know, but if the answer is no, that's okay too. I, you know, I'm I'm just trying to figure out and you know uh, help you be introspective. If we keep you know you know hitting nothing, then then we'll move on. Obviously, yeah, this is turning into a therapy session. <laughs> well, no, I mean because there's, because there's nothing wrong with you, um, or at least not that I know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, you know, I'm sure if we talk to your, your, you know, your closer six degrees of separation, but, but I, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a cyber friend, so I'm, you know, I, uh, my six degrees of separation are very safe, safely away from probably the things that may or may not ail you. In any event, you know, I'm just, I'm just wondering, you know, I, I like the foundation, you know, when I, uh, not the foundation, I did like foundation, but I like the fountainhead. I didn't love Atlas Shrugged, but I liked the Fountainhead. I didn't realize that that was about libertarianism. I just sort of liked the, the, the guy going for his vision and didn't really care what anyone else thought and somebody supported him. And then, then, you know, there was like a little soap opera in there. You know, I, you know, I, I didn't realize it was about like, you know, let, let the artist be the artist. And if the art involves business, let it be business. I, you know, I, I didn't really get that at the time. But like I said, I, I enjoyed listening to Mort Kondracki and, Fre and Fred uh, Barnes argue on the McLaughlin group with whoever else. I'd like listening to Pat Buchanan argue with, I, I think it was, I can't even remember who the Democrat was at this point. 
Um, it, it was it wasn't even the guy who later on uh, who, Michael Kingsley came was second. Anyway, it, does, it doesn't matter. But I enjoyed listening well, to that stuff. I don't think my influences came from necessarily people who were in the space. I think it's just uh, well, I, I was very science minded. I was always like, it's right or it's wrong, and there's kind of a, and I don't mean right or wrong morally. I mean like two plus two is four or it's not so I, I think eventually that kind of thinking will lead you to caring and this is going to sound a little harsh it's going to it'll lead you to caring less about people's feelings and emotions about something and just trying to figure out what the best path forward is and i think that's one thing that conservatism does really well the thing that liberal uh you know when you're a liberal the thing that happens and, it, and it's good sometimes is that you are pushed to be empathetic and to try to figure out obstacles to overcome that might not necessarily be important on the path you're on, but you want to help people. Mm-hmm. So I think my mindset has always been, what, what's the fastest path? What's, what's, the, what's the most correct answer? You know, I, and, and and that's been that, I think that's been more of um, a foundation than any one person's thoughts. Right. So it wasn't like you, know, you were a Keynesian ec- economist or something no. like that. Um, I don't even really know what that means. I just hear I Jonah Goldberg say yeah. it all the time, and and since he's my spirit, like. He's like what I should have been. Because <laughs> yeah. um, he, he still has pop culture and, and geekdom, but he's, he's what much... What should have been if what? Which, we, we got we interfered. You know what? You know one of the things that interfered anyway. <laughs> um, well, like, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of the audience at this point knows my, you know, my old wound, uh, you know, wrestling, re- wrestling interfered, yeah. comic books interfered, you know, video games, normal, you know, normal oddball kids, normal kid stuff now, but not really normal when I was in the 70s and 80s, you were supposed to go outside and play sports all the time. Now, I mean, you're still supposed to, but if, if a kid sits at home all day and plays Madden or Call of Duty, that's not, that's not odd. When that's a I- good thing. See, I'm, uh, this is, you just mentioned something that I can relate to this conversation. Comic books. Did you yeah. read X-Men, right? Sure. Okay, so did you think Magneto was right, or did you think Professor X was right? Like, even reading him as a younger person. Here's the thing. <laughs> They're both right. Um, <laughs> but I under, But I know where you're going with this. I mean, it's sort of like the Thanos was right. Um, Magneto was right like Thanos was right. Magneto was right like Dr. Doom was right. But I, I think sadly, given what I know about human nature, Magneto probably was right for his agenda. I think, I think Professor X's agenda would, will, will never re, would never reach fulfillment. Magneto's possibly could. And there were, there's, you know, multiple ways that he could have gotten there. There was, there was the only way Professor X's vision could ever come true was, is if every domino fell his way. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, uh, so yeah, is, is Magneto. See, we're, we're in, the, in this therapy session, we're unpacking my foundations. <laughs> through by unpacking mine. <laughs> yeah. 
That's good. Very, very shrewdly done. Very, very excellent jujitsu there. Uh, that, that, that's, that's fine. It's okay. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm largely an open book. I always tell people they're like, you know, they say, ah, you've got skeletons in your closet. I'm like, yes, I do. And they're all part of the public record. And if you want to look in the circuit court of Baltimore County, <laughs> enjoy. It's all there. Um, past that, you know, I haven't done anything particularly interesting, good or bad. Um, so anyway. That aside, um, but I, I know where you're getting. I, I I agree with you that I think that in in the conservative world traditionally, it's sort of very easy to say, here's the here's the line. This is the good side of the line. This is the bad side of the line. On the progressive liberal side, it keeps moving. Like the Overton window shifts, and sometimes it shifts underneath you when you fall through. I mean, you know, now you know there there you get to important things and. The very important thing where the job isn't done all of a sudden one day doesn't seem to be as important because Dave Chappelle said something or because history, whatever the root of the word is, because it starts with H-I-S, his, it's sexist and it should be herstory. Uh, I, I don't know that the H-I-S in history has anything to do with gender. I don't know that it doesn't either. Um, Latinx. Because I didn't realize Latinx was done because Spanish and, and Italian and other Romantic language languages are genderized. I yeah. I live with a Latina and her son, who was oh who, you too yeah who has only been in, oh yeah she, yeah, she, she she's she's, <laughs> been, she's a citizen now she she's been she's been here about seven years I do too. Here, still alive. That's amazing. I know you. You you've seen that flow chart too. How do you know a Latina loves you? Where it ends with she kills you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I, I always tell La Sicaria that that it, there's something very comforting knowing exactly how I'm going to die. Um, so, <laughs> but neither one of them uses that term. They think it's ridiculous. They think it, I mean it insults their language. I do a, a wrestling podcast with Steve Pena, who's Colombian. I mean, he, you say Latinx to him, he's like, what the, f-? you know, don't, I don't say that. So, you know, I don't know what's right or wrong. All I know is I don't want to purposely offend anyone because I know I'm going to accidentally do it anyway. Um, yeah, that's one of my superpowers. But there are things that I don't get upset about. Like, I'm not upset about, you know, if you change the gender of a superhero or if Captain Marvel is too feminist for someone to... I, like I've had real problems in my life and that's not one of them, but these seem to be discussions which take up a lot of real estate when there's very, very real problems internally, but also you have, you know, there's a, there's a tripwire called Taiwan that might may cause World War III and there's a, another tripwire in the Ukraine that's less likely to cause World War III, but nothing good can come of that. Uh, you know, and... Very, you know, people are starting to talk about them now, but they weren't for a long time. And there's a million other terrible things going on in the world. And, you know, of, you know, some are larger stakes than others. Some people don't even think about water rights in Arctic waters. Yeah. Land, land rights in Antarctica. Space rights. These are things that people don't even think about, but they're, they're going to impact all of us. Far more than whether, I'm sorry to say, whether student loans are forgiven or not. 
Um, so I get what you're saying. I mean, I think that, you know, historically conservatives seem to focus more on big picture. I'm not sure they do now because the movement seems to be very much different. But again, nobody cares what Jeff has to say today. We care about what Jamal has to say today. I am curious about how you think it's different now. I think that there's two parts to to the Republican party now or the conservative movement now, and only one part of it is really conservative. Now, in that, it's not a monolith either, but you have your Liz Cheney's, your Dan Crenshaw's, um, your Jonah Goldberg's, your Charlie Sykes's, um, you know, some of your other never Trumpers, your uh, Adam Kinzinger, your David Jolly's, um, Ben Sass, who hasn't always been great, uh, former Senator Flake, who hasn't always been great. Um, and then I, then you have what I think is the Trump party, which is, very, it portrays itself as populist, but that's really protectionist, which has really never worked in the history of history. It says it doesn't believe in subsidies and welfare, but it does in some, you just don't know it uh, because they start a trade war with China that they lose and pay corporate farmers $50 billion uh, or five, you know, or whatever to for soybeans that, that they can't sell to China ever again, because now China, you know, is getting them from Brazil. Um, and but but mostly policy is policy schmalacy. You know the the thing that bothers me most about the Trump movement, which I'm not sure that he started or he just sort of latched onto it or a little bit of both. It's probably a little bit of both. Is that it? It seems to otherize, and the otherize it it's it's take. I mean, it really has demonized immigrants and and as you said, communities that are quote unquote underperforming of color uh, because it's latched on to white communities that are underperforming, that are impoverished. They, for the most part, seem to love it. And so it's it's like a dog whistle. I think you said something like you, you heard something beeping, like a like something that you're just asleep. The bell rang. The bell yeah, rang. Well, okay. The reference to that is when Superman died, I think Lex Luthor said, it's like the bell rang and the universe heard it. And so, you know, Dark Side came to Earth. I remember. <laughs> I, I remember. I thought you were going to go with a bat signal. That's that's what I was sort of waiting for. But, but yeah, it just seems to have appealed to the ugliest protectionism of both external and internal. Um, but like, but I feel like the progressive side of the Democratic Party always overplays their hands and always, you know, immediately their, their formation of choice is a circular firing squad. So instead of focusing on things that, that, that won them this election, they start fighting and squabbling. And, and I mean, nobody elected Joe Biden for to have a huge um uh, progressive agenda. They voted for Joe Biden because he defeated all of the progressives because he rejected that because he portrayed himself to be a centrist. He just wanted, mm-hmm. you know, the country just wanted normal. That's it. We just wanted normal. Not perfect, just normal. Um, and it seems like, you know, the, the progressives are now acting like they are 50% of the Democratic Party or 80% of the Democratic Party. They're not. Uh, you know, and that everybody wants, you know, student loans to be forgiven, you know, this paid, that paid, the other thing. 
and they don't. Now, I'm not against some of the things that they want. I'm not even against, I mean, I, I long ago realized that the Republicans were full of shit with fiscal responsibility just as much as Democrats were. I mean, that, that started 20 years ago. Um, and nobody cares. I mean, I, I mean, our creditors don't care. By our creditors, I mean the creditors of the United States. As long as we're buying their shit and as long as we have the strongest military, that's the, and that's the thing that also progressives and I think Democrats by and large don't realize. They always want to look to the military budget, which, by the way, would pay for about three and a half months of some of their plans. But the only reason you can spend as much as you want and have deficits as much as you want, and the only reason prices are under control is because we have the most powerful military in the world and because our military creates safe trade. You have safe waterways and safe airways, mostly because of a police force called the United States armed services. It's a whole lot to unpack there too, Jeff. Look, well, who's interviewing I, who here? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to, when I, hey, when I go on the rant, I'll, I'll take as much time. But look, I, I agree with you on most, most of the things that you said, but I might disagree on what some of the, the causes of them are. <clears throat> Excuse me. Like, I don't, I don't think, Trumpism was ever a thing that changed the country in any kind of way. I think I think that there was a, there was a villain that was big enough because I, I remember growing up and the same things would be said about uh, the first Republican president that I was ever super familiar with and knew for a fact that he was a Republican because people said about it, talked about it all the time was George. Uh, Bush, George W. Bush, the kid. And I was all in on that. I thought George Bush was the worst person on the face of the earth. I thought he was evil. I thought anything that somebody said that he did, I was like, he definitely did it. And so, (laughs) (laughs) if you know, if they said he slapped the kid, I would have been like, I believe you. You know, it's just, it's that kind of, uh, I hate using the word indoctrination, but sometimes it's the, the proper word. It's that kind of indoctrination that gets you to believe certain things that you don't necessarily know or have any reason to believe. And I think Donald Trump is that same kind of figure where there was never, I never, I didn't see a reason for all of the attacks that he got. And. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't think anything that was happening was a big deal. Now, I, I, th- that can be subjective or whatnot, but th- that was my perception at the time. And so um, going off from that, it's like over time, it seems like the Democratic policy has been at least 85% messaging and no policy. And... It seems like they fight to gain power, but not to not to use any of the power that they gain once they're there. And like you were saying with Joe Biden, he pushed he pushed himself through, you know, to become the candidate through the primaries as being the moderate in the election, mm-hmm. where you had Yang, who was somewhat progressive with, uh, you know, what is it called, universal income. Right, uh, yeah, yeah. Every, minimum monthly income or whatever you wanted to do. Bernie Sanders has 
super progressive policies, all of them and Elizabeth Warren. Everyone else in the in the primaries had these uh, further left policies. Well, they were irrelevant, like Tim Ryan. I mean, you know, the, <laughs> the guy never had a chance at, you know, at Michael Bennett. You know, nobody knew them. Right. And Pete Buttigieg came out of nowhere, but he was... Uh, I think he did uh, Joe Biden better than Joe Biden did. He, he pretended to be moderate too. But anyway, anyway, what I'm saying is, <laughs> <laughs> well, Pete Buttigieg is a much better communicator. I think so too. Uh, uh, um, I actually voted for him in the primaries, but that's a different story. Anyway, <laughs> I think um, I think what what happened with liberals and Democrats is that messaging became their primary weapon, and. Because of that, they didn't really have any plan for policy. And that's, I think that's a bit what you're seeing with Joe Biden in the White House is they got there and then it was like, oh yeah, you do have to deal with Afghanistan. We did print a lot of money last year and, you know, certain things, the, the messaging didn't, it didn't do the job. It did the job to get the, the person elected. But the job had to be done outside of the messaging, and it doesn't seem like they realize that yet. And I've heard that could just be my conservative brain thinking. What I do believe that, uh, oh, you know what? I was going to correct something you said that I don't disagree with. I was going to say I think conservatives are more fiscally responsible, but you said Republicans, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. All right. Yeah, I, I don't think that they're synonymous. Just like I don't think Democrats and uh, progressives are necessarily right. synonymous. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think politically speaking, both parties have done a crappy job of being fiscally prudent. I mean, the last president to do it successfully was Bill Clinton, but you know, at what cost to national security? So, you know. Who, who knows? Everything's a confluence of events. Everything's complicated. And really, this is, you know, this, neither one of us is probably equipped to, are, you know, to convince the audience, nor are we really trying to. So about... When, but I am, I am before we move on, I'm mm-hmm. curious, what do you think about democratic messaging? It, it, messaging has become a big deal now. Like, you know, I, I cycle, I, I, I like to flip through, like, back and forth between CNN and Fox News just to see what are they covering and what are they covering I did and why. <laughs> and it's, it's be like, messaging has become such a mainstream term that Don Lemon will sit on TV and say, and ask a guest a question, what do you think the messaging should be? Or what do you think the, of the messaging? Do you think the messaging is working? I, I, I'm young. I don't know if it's always been like that, but I don't remember seeing the news addressing what the party's messaging is or anything like that. So what do you think about the messaging of the Democratic Party and how it relates to their policy? I think that you touched on it without maybe actually saying these words, but it's very confused. I don't think that right now, and maybe for some period of time, that there's been a leader of the Democratic Party or a consensus uh, spokesperson for the 70 or 80 percent of Democrats, which is probably very similar to the beliefs of the, you know, the vast majority of people who are, who are 
to one extent or another, centrist, independent, whatever you want to, moderate Republican, conservative, Democrat, whatever you want to say. There, there's no one that's speaking to or for them that's of significant power. So, I, I mean, it's very confused. It's supposed to be a party of inclusiveness, but you've got a 79-year-old man, white man, as one messenger. You have an 80-year-old white woman as the messenger for the House. You have another I don't know how old Chuck Schumer is, but he's probably close to 79 as well. White man in, in the Senate. Then on the other side, you have the squad who are all young, you know, but also, uh, you know, not exactly in tune with, I think, the, you know, the a lot of their their policies are not in tune with, you know, the Democratic Party, let alone independents and conservatives. And, and I think they get a, a lot more volume than their power base really dictates, partly because of Twitter, partly because of the media, partly because a couple of them are really attractive and, and that makes good TV. Um, but I, I think it's confused. I think it's all over the place. I mean, if you watch MSNBC on a day to day basis, you will think that critical race theory is the most important issue in, in the country, which should be a local school board decision except the local school boards do stupid ass things like not teaching people about slavery and Jim Crow. <laughs> so Yeah, that that's that that's perfect that you said that because it's a big part of what I was asking. Because if you talk about critical race theory, nobody knows what it is. And what I hear the conversation that I hear about it is a person says, I'm against critical race theory. The person says, well, what part of critical race theory are you against? And then the person gives an example. And then the person says, that's not critical race theory. Or they quote a person, they be like, that's not critical race theory. And it's not being taught in schools. And then the person gives an example of how it's being taught in school. And they be like, that's not. It's, it's just like nobody even knows what we're talking about. I've mm-hmm. never seen a full conversation about this subject that makes any sense. And, and. Still, like it's it's like uh, the Democratic side will say, critical race theory doesn't exist, but it's also the most important thing in education right now. <laughs> so <laughs> right, right, it's it's it, it, right. Listen, I think that I think that both parties for a long time have been ideologically inconsistent. The Democratic Party is about a larger government, except when it comes to certain things and personal freedom, except when it comes to certain things. The Republican Party is about small government, except when it comes to certain things, um, you know, and fiscal responsibility. But that doesn't apply to intelligence and military and, and law enforcement. I mean, there's consistency is something that's that's gone by the wayside. By the way, I couldn't give you a good definition of what critical race theory is either. I, I So I go to my safe place. I hear what Jonah Goldberg and Steve Hayes say and they say this is nothing new you have been you have been been taught about this if you are in a decent school system and you know for since the 80s or 90s it's nothing to get upset about i believe them so maybe it's me being lazy but i know one thing whatever it is it's not the most pressing issue in the country i'm not saying it's not important i'm not saying that i don't need to understand it better i'm just saying that in the list of really important things facing the country right now, racism is huge. The aspect that is critical race theory maybe isn't, but I, 
if you listen to it, it plays into everything. I can't say that it doesn't. I, like as a white male, you have to say that racism is huge in the country. I think it's like in, it's in the it script. Is. You cannot not say it because like your podcast would be canceled. <laughs> well, well, I think that you. I mean, there's truth to that, but it's not because it's wrong, and it it's because. A child of, I mean, I, I was born in the 60s, but a child of the 70s and the 80s, there were things in kids' movies that you that I wouldn't show my kids now. I, you know, or I wouldn't show my kids 20 years ago. Not, not you know, woke, Jeff. Um, I'm, I'm talking about 31-year-old or 32-year-old. Jeff goes, holy crap, my four-year-old shouldn't be listening to this, shouldn't hear these words. It's just you look back and you see things that were okay then aren't okay now, and they never should have been okay, and it makes you question everything. So I, like everybody else, I have a knee-jerk reaction to things I hear. But I try to pause, I try to think, and I say, and I do try to put myself in the shoes of another, you know, other people with other perspectives. Sometimes I do that quickly. Sometimes it takes me longer to do it. Sometimes I decide, you know what? It's not that important for me to get upset about. If this is going to make some people's lives easier or better or less horrible, cool. It's okay. Other things I think are dopier than those. I think our obsession with pronouns is, frankly, you know, to use to use another over overused word, privileged. Um, but that aside... I agree. I think the messaging from the Democratic Party has been terrible. But I'm really curious, what what was it about the Trump presidency or candidacy that sort of formed this bulwark in, inside of you and said, because, I mean, it could have fallen on both sides. Just thinking, just saying, wow, the media is really crucifying this guy. You know, yeah, he was a little bit of a jerk. He's a little bit outrageous, but I don't think he's Satan. I mean, that, that there's a far cry from taking that position and going, I'm a conservative now. It didn't start with me thinking that the media was crucifying the uh, Donald Trump. I just thought they were telling the truth, and I think I think what happened is I started paying attention to what was happening more because what they were basically saying is Donald Trump is president and you're going to die, and it's like shoot, I'm a black male. I have to figure out what's going on. I have to start paying attention to these things. And so over time, it, it, you know, when you turn on the TV, it's like, you know, the grab them by the pee thing. And I was like, well, that's not a good thing to be caught saying, but it's men locker room talk. You know, it's not like he said it during an interview. And it seemed just like everything was taking out, taken to this weird extent that I started noticing. It was hard to notice. And then it just escalated more and more and more. And then eventually you have a list of things that are like, why? why, why At some point, I started questioning the people who are telling me stuff more than the person that they were talking about. And so that was like uh, a really important catalyst, because I think as a person growing up, I always thought the news was objective and right. It was just information that I needed to know. And it, it made me change my perspective about the media to say that th- sometimes they have an objective and they might not be telling you the truth in a way that's the entire story. They might be telling you your, their side of it for an agenda. And 
that kind of bothered me, and it took it took a minute to settle within me because I'm not a big conspiracy theorist. I never believed like if if you had said something to me like that before, I would have thought that was conspiracy talk. And but the more and more I paid attention to it, it turned out to be true. And I think that was enough for me to start looking outside of uh, mainstream television media and just listening to like like what what does anybody else think about this? <laughs> Right. Right. Well, I think I think that what you're saying is 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 something that a lot of people don't think about that they haven't analyzed and and taken upon themselves. And what I mean is that there is no the media anymore. There's 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 a whole bunch of different sources out there. And it, it used to be where the presumption was if you watched ABC nightly news, you were going to get you know. Probably a left-leaning but fairly centrist rundown of the news, you know, or CBS News or whatever. You, you pick your favorite. The advent of cable TV, you know, sort of switched that. But if you want to find objectivity, you can't find one source. There's You can't rely on the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal. You can't rely on Fox or CNN. You have to sort of, like you said, you have to sort of listen to both. And maybe you have to do... I'm not saying I'm perfect, but I, 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 what I, I mean, every day I listen to the Daily from the New York Times. I listen to NPR's Up First. I also listen to commentary, this podcast, and I pull my hair sometimes screaming at half of what they say internally. I listen to the editors, which is the National Review uh, podcast. I listen to the Bulwark every day, which is never Trumpers who are probably getting closer and closer to the center, but, you know, they still consider themselves conservatives. I listened to the dispatch, which were mostly people who the bulwark is mostly people who left the weekly standard and the dispatch is mostly people who left national review, but there's some overlap there. Um, so I listened to a bunch, you know, of course, Jonah and Steve Hayes, my heroes are on the dispatch and the editor. So I, I, you know, but I listen, I make sure to listen to stuff from the left and from the right. And I try not to watch one news station you know, consistently through the day. And certainly if I do that, not for more than one day, but that's hard. That takes time. That takes effort. And a lot, you know, if you're a person with a job or more than one job with kids, you want to eat, you want to exercise, you, you want to see a movie, you want to watch a game. Most people aren't, most people are more normal than me. They're, they're not going to listen to seven news podcasts a day. Um, you know, so you, it's really an effort to find it. So I don't necessarily blame people for doing that. Maybe that's a business venture. You try to find something that's objective and do the best you can to figure out what is objective. But I want to know really what what interests me more than anything else for the purposes of this show is when you came to this conclusion, whatever got you there. How did people react? Like, you know, like I said, you're a, you are a millennial African American male in Los in the Los Angeles, California area. Los Angeles often called I mean, California often called the People's Republic of California, very blue state, um, a typical Democratic voting bloc. You know, was it hard with friends, family, peers? Did you get shunned, or was it cool? Everyone's just like, hey. Jamal's always been an individual thinker, independent thinker, or did people quietly agree with you? What would, what was your experience 
That that's what I want to know. What is the experience of a black conservative in in a blue part of the world in what is from an outsider's perspective a blue community? It was a bit scary. I remember I remember uh, like having a uh, Facebook conversation with like a friend that I've known over fifteen years. And like this is kind of before I like self-identified that I was conservative. It's before that I knew that was a thing that I was. But uh, he he had said something, and I was like, "Well, what's wrong with that?" It, I, I don't want to. It was it was a Donald Trump-centric conversation, right? Mm-hmm. And he he disagreed with something, and I was like, "Well, why?" And he the, his answer was, "He's conservative," and so. The thing is, in um, some black communities, or some communities in general, I think the word conservative is in some way looked at the same way like the word white, or the term white supremacist is looked or racist. And so it it took me, (laughs) really calling myself conservative is something that happened in the last two years. Because before then, I don't think I could have. I, I, it was, I just had to disagree, and I had to have like um, kind of nameless uh, devil's advocate kind of discussions with people, because I couldn't uh, just come out and be like, "Oh, I'm, I'm conservative now," not not amongst friends anyway. And I, when that finally did happen, I lost some friends, some longtime friends. And about not not even any, about anything overly uh, controversial, but just on the basis that I now identify with my uh, I, I identify now under this term, and I have a viewpoint that they know is a conservative viewpoint. So those two things together are <laughs> it was, it was a. It was, honestly, it was a, it was hard to get through. It was like a I don't, I don't want to use the word brave because that's not what it is. But it took a lot to, for me to just be like, no, this is what it is, and whoever's staying, staying; whoever's leaving, is leaving. And so I have friends who like we're still friends, we're buddies. It's it's not a big deal. Some things they disagree with me about, and but the thing is, with conservative views, a lot of people agree with them. They just don't. They don't want to agree with you like a conservative agrees with you. They want to agree with you on their standards, even though they might agree. Like if, if I don't know how risky we can get on the risque, we can get you on can, these you, topics. But you can you get know, as like, risque as you like. I just, I'm just trying to avoid. Cursing to avoid the explicit uh, check that I have to box. Other than that, but talk about anything you like. All right, but so I, I won't say the word, but like say in the in the discussion of terminating pregnancies, some people might agree, but they can't agree like in the way that I would say it. They have to agree on another principle. Sure. Like a religious principle or something, <laughs> and they couldn't, they can't say, you know, you know, like the things that a conservative would say in the, in the argument about that topic. And so, I think at first I tried to fit into that category where I just disagreed on principles, which is true. But 
eventually, I think enough of my topics started adding up that I had to, I guess, basically come out of the closet as <laughs> a, a, um, an open conservative thinker. Yeah, it's just, it's, it is coming out of the closet. It's a different closet, but it's just coming out of the closet. And uh, listen, <laughs> I, listen, listen. I I have angst right now about what I said earlier that I think that we overemphasize pronouns because I know that some because to some to, to somebody who's going through that or someone who really believes that that is very important to them. It's about that saying that's that's that might be me saying I don't respect you, and I do. I I, I you know I just think that there are more important problems in the world. That does you know that doesn't mean that I you know it's like we can't hold multiple thoughts in our heads at the same time and we don't we can you know prioritize things or say things are important but not everything is at defcon one some things can be at defcon three some things are at defcon four uh some things you know maybe we have to learn a little bit more for or maybe me at 53 it's going to take me longer to, to come to that than someone at 23 is going to or whatever it is it's just that the there's there is total intolerance of the self-proclaimed tolerant and then the intolerant i think the one thing that that trumpism did do is it made the intolerant emboldened to be proud about their intolerance this is this is this is this predates trump but you know it's a famous case they were the 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 bakers who wouldn't make a, a wedding cake for a gay couple um one, as a, as a market forces person, I think if they want to be shitty that way, they can be shitty that way. Um, also, as a market forces person and as somebody who wants to know who somebody is, I think it's just fine that the world knows who that bakery is. And if you are somebody who still wants to support that bakery and you have the bravery to go in there or you just love their cupcakes because they make the goddamn best cakes in the world or whatever, that's on you. But I, I believe that in 20, you know, 2000, 2010, 2015, 2021, that that bakery would not have survived. That they, that, that they did well on all the funding that they got from sources and, and, war, and legal war chests. I think market forces would have closed it down because I think most people you know, whether it's because they were doing the right things they really believed it or whether because they didn't want to do what they perceived to be the wrong thing publicly, whatever it was, I don't think that that place would have been sustained. The market would have said, okay, you, you know, you either need to close or you need to move to, you know, this county yeah. six states away and see if you can make a go of it. Um, you know, at the same time, I, you know, but how different is that from, you know, Ruth Chris, which I shouldn't say any restaurant name because they don't do this, but any chain, McDonald's, Burger King, whatever, any big restaurant chain saying, we're, we're just not going to serve Asian Americans anymore. I mean, so, I mean, I understand slippery slopes. So, so I, you know, it's just, it, 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 who gets to decide the proportions and then, the, and everything becomes a court question and everything takes a long time. I, I don't even remember exactly what I want to do with that, but, I think the point was, is that back then I wanted to know who the people who didn't think my way were, which of course everyone thinks they think the right thing. Now I don't anymore. Now I'm scared. Now it's, it's like, it's like, now I believe that up to 40% of my neighbors 
may may want to kill others of my neighbors, or maybe even me, or maybe the woman that I live with, or or my. I happen to live in in I live in Baltimore County. It is a very mixed neighborhood. I I most of the people I voluntarily enter into my life are non-white by a fairly substantial margin. I've never even thought about it until recently when I feel like I've been forced to think about it. Um, but this area is at least half African-American, at least. I don't want those neighbors to feel afraid of the police. I don't want those neighbors to feel afraid of me because I'm a 53-year-old white guy who's been confused with a cop since I'm 23 years old. Now, I'm not a cop, but I'm sort of big. I'm sort of bulky. I have sort of a, you know, short hair. I got that. I got that. I'm coppish. I've got that look. I've got that, you know, that Mediterranean, you know, sort of Italian Greek sort of look. You know, it's just, I'd be central casting. I'd be a goon, you know, in in, in a few years. You know, uh, I I don't know. I, I just hate the, I just hate the way that, friends of mine feel that they're so sad about things. And, you know, I know I don't have to necessarily worry about that's part of what privilege is. I get it. And I can't do anything about it. And and it just makes me, it, it, it makes me mad. And, but me, me, me being mad is insubstantial to someone's actual lived experience. Like if I get pulled over by a police officer, first of all, I have a 50, 50 chance of getting a warning. S- secondly, I'm worried about my insurance rates going up or what I'm really worried about is I'm going to have to take half a day off and because I know I'm going to get a probation or judgment. I'll have to pay a fine. So I'm going to pay a hundred bucks, but I won't get any points. My insurance rates go up. Other people are worrying about whether they're going to get killed, (laughs) you know, and it's just, it's just, it's just, it's just a weird thing. Because I've driven people and like to festivals or whatever, and police cars are stopped and they're talking to other police officers and like, I'll beep. I'll be like, people are moving. And they're like, what the hell are you doing beeping a cop car? Are you out of your mind? And I'm like, no. no. I mean, it's not even a stop sign. What we, why did they just stop there talking to each other? It's a festival. They should be moving along. There's traffic here. Uh, and they're like, if I was driving, I'd be on the hood. I'm like, I guess it's a good thing I'm driving. But, um, I, you know, things like that that I don't have to think about. Um, cause I'm a middle-aged white guy. I think we have different perspectives about that kind of topic. I think you would think of yourself as privileged and I would think that other people are surrendering their privilege because when I get pulled over, I'm not afraid of being killed either. And I would be better cop. Like, Good. There's, there's, there's a, it's, it is what I was talking about the media before, um, there's there's a certain uh, type of thing. I'm don't want to go into media, right? There's a certain type of thing that the media showcases. One of those things is black man shot by police. Now, like I said, I'm cut. I'm, I originally am science minded, and so when I hear that, I'm like, well, is how often does that happen? And when you find out how often it happens, then you have to say. Is that something that I should be afraid of on a daily basis? Or is there a better chance of me getting struck by lightning? And so I'm not saying that things aren't disproportional in that sense. I can agree with that. But I don't think they're in any way catastrophic. Or what's the word is used? Uh, I can't think of this word anymore. 
you know, in an emergency or such. I think I think there are things that we have to work out, but I don't think like before we were talking about things that are priorities. I don't think the, this is a priority within the black community. I think it's um, on the B side of our issues. Interesting. But but I understand that perspective because if you if you see every other year every year uh, such and such is shot or and you see them uh, reported and you don't follow up like there, there are certain police shootings that when when it was all said and done it wasn't what they were reported to be there were other circumstances I don't want to get into which ones because right you'll be you'll be ostracized but I I, right. I know you well, I, I can't be. I can't be any more ostracized than I am. It's not like I, I, it's not like I don't want to say that. I just don't want to get into them, really. But things like that, or you know, every police involved shooting with people of different races is is not unjustified, it, right? And, <laughs> and, and, and some things from Jump, the presumption is that it is, as opposed to that it isn't, or that let's let's all take a breath and and find out before we pick our side. So, th- so there's no reason, I don't think, uh, if, if a person disagrees with me, uh, that's fine. But I don't think there's any reason for me to go outside, get pulled over, and think, oh, shoot, I can get shot by the police. Because, one, I don't get pulled, I haven't been pulled over in almost 10 years because I'm a pretty good driver. But, two, <laughs> the, um, I haven't had any bad experiences with the police. So I think... I don't know what people, I don't know what the majority experience is. Like if, if I say, you know, I don't know if most, most black men have, have had negative experiences with the police. I don't know if they've had physical experiences with the police. And just speaking from, this is, a, this is kind of anecdotal, except for the actual numbers about unarmed men getting shot. But I think it's worse that you feel privileged and someone like me feels oppressed when the actual evidence doesn't support that in this, well, in the, in the instance of, um, police killings anyway. No, I'm, I'm familiar with the statistics that you're speaking right, about. The information doesn't support that you should feel privileged and I should feel in danger. And, and, the, and all I think I, that's kind of, it's, it's, it's a bit crippling for some people and I don't, yeah. Like that, that kind of idea bothers me a little bit. Yeah, I don't want to say that I haven't been indoctrinated when clearly it sounds like maybe I have been. But anecdotally, most of the people who I do know of color and primarily African-American and some of what you buy near Eastern American. So mm-hmm. Arab, Persian, Turkish. Um they have, they have mostly anecdotally, overwhelmingly have, have said, yeah, that's happened to us or somebody that we know. Whereas mm-hmm. as far as, you know, people I grew up with, I grew up in a very homogeneous, as far as skin color community. I mean, you know, where I grew up, you know, Italians and Irish thought they were very different, but we're going to stick to pigment and we're not going to, we're not, we're not, we're not going to go into the, you know, the war, the gangs of New York from 1921, uh, you know, movies. Um, you know, nobody talked about that. You know, if you got pulled up, everybody felt the same. You know, put your hand to 10 and two, you know, what are we going to tell our parents or shit? I can't afford my insurance rates or, Oh, am I going to get a lawyer to go to court or what? You know, I mean, but even still now, I, you know, 
the, the people in my life who still are, you know, Caucasian or, or you know, you know, far Asian, uh, you know, they don't report that kind of thing in the, in anywhere near the same anecdotes. Now, anecdotes are imperfect. I get it. Um, and it is, so it is a narrative and maybe it is indoctrination, but it, it, it's supported by my own personal experience of what people have told me. Was I there? No. But do I believe them? Sure. Yeah, I think um, racism now, great racism was very different when I was like in elementary school. The way that I thought, the way that I thought about it and the way that I felt other people thought about it. Now it seems kind of like, uh, as, a, as like, no pun intended, but like a trump card, like something that you can slam down as a, as a useful tactic. Sure, there's there's no recovery. You can you you can't. There's nothing you can say. Someone says you're a racist. You're right. Like for instance, someone says me I'm a racist. Well, you know, uh, you know, my my partner of over five years is from is Ecuadorian. You know, my, my basically my stepson is Ecuadorian. Most of my friends are like, oh, so you've got the friend, or you think you've got a, a partner, so that makes you. Uh, so of course you would say that, or you know, right. you know, my favorite celebrity is this. You know, yeah, I I, I understand. It's. I don't mean to put you on game, but I think a lot of black people, when they use that term, they know that they're they're uh, basically escaping having to explain anything else. It, it's not I even. Think, it's, but but I get I get it mostly from people who aren't black. To be honest with you, I get I, mean, I get it mostly from white is, people. <laughs> see the way the way that black works now is everybody's black except white people. It's, it's black people of color, except if you're Asian and you're trying to go to college, then you're, <laughs> <laughs> you're back privileged until you graduate and you get to be a, a POV again, or, you know, a person, a POC again, a person of color. But I think, I, not, I'm not saying that racism doesn't exist. Of course not. If people will get over my head about that. I, what I'm saying is, I think most of the time that people think Things are racist. I think I think the overwhelming majority of the of the times that it's not racist. It's just that people are assholes. And if so, if if an asshole encounters another person, and one person happens to be white and one person happens to be black, and something happens that's not typically supposed to happen when people encounter each other, it's going to be a racist situation. 90, 99% of the times when you hear about it. I, there's something to say that there, there's a whole, I think there are a whole lot more people who are, <laughs> I, I'm not even saying people who have asshole moments or asshole events or asshole triggers. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you know, I don't think that there's many people who are asshole about any, everything. Um, but listen, I look, if you are a telemarketer and call me, I'm going to be an asshole. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's that's just the way it is um and there are probably other circumstances as well um but yeah the, the world is a complicated place but you know i i was interested in how you navigate it and it just seems that that you, you got you you got your strife you had your struggles your encounters and you just came to peace with you said hey the people who know me and, and like me they're the people who know me and like me the people who know me and don't like me you know, it is what it is, and people who don't like me don't know me. Well, they, they don't know me. I'm not happy about it, but what can you do? Um, 
I never had a problem with people not liking me because I am a jerk and an asshole sometimes. Like, I have, I have like, a, a special flavor. You're, you're who, not you a jerk like and me. an asshole. You think you are, but you're not. I, I'm an asshole in a way where I, I don't hold back a lot of things that I feel. I think you have exactly. a contrarian streak in you. Um, yeah, I'm a cynic. There you go. Maybe yeah. I'm a, maybe that's the way of saying it. Me too. <laughs> yeah. So, like, so the, what I'm saying is, you know, they say birds of a flock, fe- feather flock together. I know you're similar to me in a, in a cynic way because we go back and forth on Facebook all the time. It's all mm-hmm. fun and games, you know? Yeah. But I think there are some people who aren't cynics and... You know, maybe it's because I finally said, oh, I'm conservative now, and I, don't, I, I disagree with this, and I disagree with this. Maybe that's why they decided, oh, I don't like you anymore. Or maybe they just wanted a reason not like me anymore. Because <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I think that's the, what I came, the terms I came to, that I just can't control. I can't not be myself, and I can't control how everybody else feels about me, and that's fine. That's well, fine. I've been chasing you for a long time to get you on the show, and I have... I have, I have moved heaven and earth to try to not have a political show in any of the shows. I, you know, uh, I think one of the reasons that, that Shaheen, you know, went off to do Garden of Doom, uh, I mean, uh, breaking the apocalypse off of Garden of Doom is because he did want to talk about current events. And I really, really didn't. Um, and I chased you and caught you and got you here and you have gotten me to do exactly what I don't want to do. So uh, if there's any award for guests to get whatever their awards in podcast world, you, you should get one uh, for your, your mental jujitsu there to the trick me. And then I fell into, uh, I fell into my own tiger trap basically. I don't know how you thought you would, would avoid that. I, when I heard you say what the top, what you wanted the topic is going to be, I was like, Jeff, you know what it is here's the thing I'm not that bright and I'm not nearly as bright as I think I am Um, there's there's a difference between smart and intelligent and I don't know which one is which but one is you know a lot of stuff the other is you know when and how to use it or know when and how not to use it I don't have the know when not to use it part I might have the other parts, but I don't have, like, I probably, you know, if, if knowledge is a, is a line across the horizon, my, I'll put mine against anybody who's not, you know, like a genius. As far as depth, it depends. It ebbs and flows depending on what the topic is. As far as knowing how to use it, when to use it appropriately, or when to shut my mouth, no. That, that, I do not have that power at all. So, you know, it is what it is, but, uh, you know, like one of the things about being 53 is you sort of stop caring a little bit, but obviously I don't, I don't, I haven't stopped caring about everything because I still want to say the right words. I don't want to offend anybody. I want to, you know, I want to explain and qualify things because, because I don't want to get into trouble with the world over, you know, things that five years ago wouldn't have been controversial opinions, but are now, um, it's, but it's probably it's, it's probably it's probably one of those uh, you know it's probably a no win situation anyway. It's probably I probably have to be more like you, you know, on this. If if you like me, you like me. If you don't, you don't. Hopefully, you listen either way. Yeah, you look good for your age. I thought you were just a little bit older than me. <laughs> well, maybe you look after your age. I don't know. You know, I listen. 
I use a lot of moisturizer. I also made a bunch of changes in my life several years ago. Not all voluntarily, not all positive, not all for the right reasons. But after some years of tumult, I lucked into several situations where I have a very controlled, easy life. I can afford my lifestyle, which is much simplified. Uh, I found outlets like podcasts. I, I found a wonderful partner who's a million times better looking than I am and somehow thinks that I'm the catch. Um, so generally, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a fairly happy guy. And I think that that, you know, yeah, I eat what I want. I, hey, I got to cut you off. I don't want you to go an hour about how handsome you are for your age. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I haven't, even, I haven't even started about how good looking. Yeah, no, I'm extremely yeah, sad. I know we would have kept growing and, you know. Wonderful dancer, excellent lover. Uh, men want to be me. Women want to be want to be with me. The, the whole thing. You'll have your hair. And, 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 and you know, and also gender neutral. Uh, you know, everyone wants me. Yeah. Right, right. Still, well. I, yeah. Right. But, no. Thank you for that. Uh, I'm glad that, you know, someone else mentioned that too. Um, but um, yeah, thanks. I'm glad I don't look for it. It's funny because sometimes on the internet, people make fun of me. They go, you look like you're 45 or you look like you're 50. I'm like, well, I'm 53. So thank you for saying I look yeah. young or thank you for saying I look age appropriate. But okay. Look at your hairline. I'm like, 53, dude, you contact me in, in 20 years and show me what your hairline looks like then. <laughs> so... I like calling you old on Facebook, but if I knew your actual age, I probably wouldn't have, because right? I would do it like as a joke. And be like, you know, shut up, Jeff, you're old. But I thought I thought I was saying that to like a forty-five year old. <laughs> he, 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 here's the thing: everybody always says they're old. Nobody ever feels they're old until it feels that they're old until they really are. Like I, I, I don't even think my parents really felt that they they were old until they crossed seventy-five. So. I, I, you know, so, yeah. And that keeps changing too. But anyway, I should, thank you. Hey, you look, you're a very handsome man too as well. Oh, thank you. You know, I've heard it before, but I still, um, I still don't believe it. I'm sure you heard like it. it. I'm sure you heard it earlier today. People have to keep telling me because I don't see it. So I need the reaffirmation as, as often as possible. Well, okay. But because I'm also, you know, a narcissist and I want to be the handsome one, I'm only going to tell you once. So. Thank you. So, yeah. No, but I, you know, I, I appreciate this. You, you, you know, it, we, it was a very interesting conversation. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's very cool to talk to people who think different ways. Uh, I, you know, I very much try not to think of people in, in a monolith in politics. It's extremely hard not to just because of that's how it's broken down by the analysts and, and, you know, they tend to get things right a lot with that anyway. Um, like you said, some things are science, uh, and uh, I, I guess we're still struggling with what we can consider science and what we can't consider science. But I don't know. I guess this eternal reevaluation of our souls is maybe not the worst thing in the world. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that aspect of our country is interesting because. I guess scientifically, I don't think race exists. I think it's a collection of physical features. And I think most people agree with that, right? It's fact. Except we can breed. <laughs> we can breed and our right. children can have children. It's it's a fact. We are, we are the same race. Most people would say that race is a, so, a social construct. But it's, it, it, they say that until they have like race on their side mm -hmm. or somebody's using race against them. So either when... Um, 
it's good to be black or when it's bad to be black. That's when race seems prevalent again. And then we and, and then we create and and when you know and it seems like whenever we're getting somewhere to a better place we create more. <laughs> you know, whether whether. When I, before I said that, I was like, oh, that's a different discussion. So yeah. I'll say that to end. Maybe we'll pick up on it on another show about something yeah. not political. <laughs> no, yeah, it could, be, it, could, it could be to be continued. Actually, I'm thinking about another show uh, with uh, somebody who I think you would get along with very well and, and talk to very well. So, uh, but we'll, we'll talk about that another time. Yeah. What's that? <laughs> Oh, well, so yeah, I mean... I'll bring it up on the anthropology show. Okay? Yeah, well, you know I want anthropology. I mean, anything, especially anything that's old and controversial. That, that, that's what I want. But not, not like, you know, we hate this kind of people, like, you know, Neanderthals and Denisovans, you know, made it to become giants. That's that's what I, that's what I want to hear. That's what I want to talk about. Um, but anyway, again, thank you for your time. We'll definitely pick this up another time, and hopefully after the Sayers, people will still be speaking to us. Maybe. I don't think so, though. I just, <laughs> I just lost half of my contacts on Facebook. Already. This hasn't even aired yet. Right. right. So they already sense it in the air. They're just like, nope. This is, just, this is a disturbance from the force. <laughs> yeah, right. All right. All the people you thought you made detente with, you, you did. Hey, one last question. Were there any people who rejected you because of this that you had a schism with, but then they came back and they say, you know what? He's a really cool guy. He's, we've been friends for a long time. Forget about it. who cares about the politics, whatever. Was there anyone? Yeah, but I have one friend who I feel like will eventually come around. Yeah. All right, well, that's interesting. So he's somebody that we uh, we didn't even have an argument. We just disagreed on something. We stopped talking. But he did, like, when I got engaged, he, he sent my wife a message and congratulated us. So I feel like that's maybe a turning point. Yeah, that, <laughs> that, that. that. It's an olive branch. It's a it's a thin olive branch, but it is an olive branch. It's it, it's it's a gesture. So all right, well well good on that on that note of some small hope. I think we should maybe call a night. But again, thank you very much for coming in. And and listen, I hope we talk again on the air. But obviously, we'll talk again in our in in the normal veins. So thank you for joining us in Garden View, folks. Uh, tune in next time to Garden Views. Of course, those of you who know know that Garden View is not a regular show like every week like Garden of Doom is. Also check out Hammerlock Hangover, the wrestling podcast if you're into that. If you're not into wrestling, don't bother. Garden of Doom is is uh, you know my baby and and is things that are uh, controversial in different ways and you know more fun. But basically gods, monsters, myths, legends, anything that, that might be a little bit altered. So check those things out and check out our friends on the PWC. At Mark Media and also the Wrestling Soup Network. Thanks again, everyone. See you next time. A new Planet Fitness location is coming soon. To celebrate, you can join before we open for just $1 down, $10 a month, no commitment. 
We're squeaky clean and ready to welcome you with tons of equipment and plenty of space to spread out. Join the judgment-free zone today. We're ready when you are. Just $1 down, $10 a month, no commitment. Coming soon to Schaumburg Woodfield. Join now for only $1 down and $10 a month. Hurry deal ends December 31st. Planet Fitness locations are independently owned and operated. See club for details.